0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Adrian Ross, your host, and I'm so glad that you joined us on The Right Voice. Well, I do want to start off by saying that uh, we have had a new start since the last time we were on the air together. We had a start of a new year. So, happy new year to everyone. I hope that you had a wonderful uh, ringing in of the new year. And so, uh, I want to remind you that the phone number here to call in is 646 200. Three seven one five again. That's six four six two zero zero three seven one five. That is the number here on the Right Voice, and I also want to remind you that we are on social media on Twitter and Facebook. At Facebook, you can find us at The Right Voice Radio, and on Twitter, we are at The Right Voice One. Again, Twitter is at The Right Voice One, and Facebook is The Right Voice. Radio, so please go on over to Facebook and go on over to Twitter and show us some love over there. We want you to follow and like and share and all that good stuff, make comments. So, um, so thank you very much for that. Now, uh, again, we are on the air every Tuesday evening from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern, 7 to 8 Central, which is my time zone. And I thank you for joining us. Uh, we have a packed show. It seems like I start every week saying that because there's always so much that's that's going on politically, and as far as the news is concerned. And uh, I just wanna just step back really quickly to, to last week. Last week, we tried something new. We called it political potpourri. And we ended the year by just throwing out various topics. I had a uh, my good friend, Christy King, as my guest co-host. And uh, we sort of sat around the, the metaphoric table and and talked about uh, a variety of issues. We had some great interaction, and there really was some positive feedback. So what I thought was that we would we would do that. We plan to do that. What Christy called table talk every every month. We try to do that once a month. Maybe we'll end the month that way. And uh not only did she and I get to just sit around and, and shoot the breeze, sit around the, the metaphoric table as as it were, but but also we had invited other people to come in and, and sort of be honoree guests as well. And and we had Ron, who is a listener of the Right Voice and, and he's called in before. He joined us for almost the, the whole time that we were on the air. And so he and Christy and I really got to talk a lot about, about what's going on, particularly um this the you know, politics and and the Republican party and, uh, and Donald Trump and and the Clintons and all that good stuff. So, um, look forward to that, uh, taking place on a regular, on a regular basis. So I'm excited about that, but I am also excited about the lineup that, that we have tonight. I am honored and privileged to have a guest who should be with us shortly. Uh, we're going to kick things off with this special guest. And, and many of you are, are familiar with, with Stephen K. Bannon. And, uh, and uh, at the, toward the end of the show, we should also have another guest who is A.W.R. Hawkins. And uh, he's been on the show before and he will be uh, with us briefly. Uh, he's a very, very important voice, particularly right now. He's been very busy in these last couple of days discussing and writing about the uh, executive action that the president has uh, has taken in terms of uh, in terms of gun control. So um, we're going. I'm, I'm awaiting my my guest Stephen K. Bannon. So we'll talk. Um, just set this up for you with Mr. Bannon. Mr. Bannon is the executive chairman of Breitbart News Network. Which, of course, was started by that conservative warrior and hero, the late uh, Andrew Breitbart. And uh, Stephen Bannon is also a radio host of Breitbart News Daily on Sirius XM Patriot Channel 125. He is a writer, a producer, a director. Filmmaker, and probably most importantly, he's he's my boss, <laughs> my supervisor at uh, at Breitbart News. So when he joins us, he I, I want him to talk to us about Breitbart News, and uh, many of you are familiar with him, in particular, or became familiar with him first off because of his films, and in particular his uh his film called the undefeated, which was a documentary about the former governor of Alaska, which of course is, is Sarah Palin. That is when when I first became familiar familiar with him. So um he's he's going to to really talk to us because Breitbart News really has uh has taken off and uh and we know that that Andrew Breitbart has such a vision and such a heart and uh, and who better to, to talk to us about that than than someone who knew him, someone who knew him uh, up close and personal and was in the thick of things with him. So um, so he'll talk to us about that. We'll also uh, talk about uh, this the whole gun control issue, and that's where AWR comes in. He is Breitbart's columnist. He's our our Second Amendment expert, and he will break down exactly what. Uh, is going on there cuz I know that I know that there are some people probably who haven't been following as closely as as others in terms of um uh, what the president actually was proposing today or what he is is saying that he's going to do. So so AWR who uh is um like I said he's our expert our gun rights second amendment columnist and he holds a master's degree in US history with a focus on the Civil War and a PhD in military history from Texas Tech. So he'll talk to us about that. And in the middle there, um we're going to talk about uh the the election. We'll talk about uh Donald Trump and 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 Bill Clinton and and that whole little back and forth that's going that's going on there. So um but I'm as I'm waiting actually for uh Mr. Bannon to give us a call, I am going to just I'm going to dive in actually to uh we'll start off by talking about about something that we mentioned last week. Christy King and Ron, our caller, who sat around the table with us and myself, we got into this conversation last week during our table talk about Trump's threat, I guess you can call it. Uh, he threatened that if Hillary Clinton continues to call him a sexist, that he would go after Bill Clinton whom he calls an abuser, and uh, we had a whole discussion about whether that was fair game. Is it fair game to talk about the past, to talk about uh, what Bill Clinton has done in terms of extramarital affairs, as well as what has been alleged in terms of, of rape? And so I'm going to just, I'm going to start off by going back there, and I'm going to play that clip where Donald Trump discusses the whole issue and then we'll sort of sum up where we left off last week and uh and if somebody wants to call in and weigh in on that feel feel free to do that but uh let's let's take a listen to to what we heard from Mr. Trump. Well, Donald Trump is not backing down from his verbal feud with Hillary Clinton. The Republican frontrunner has sent out a tweet slamming clinton's recent announcement that her husband former president bill clinton will hit the campaign trail for her in january trump tweeted hillary clinton has announced she's letting her husband out to campaign but he's a demonstrate he's demonstrated a penchant for sexism so inappropriate CNN investigations correspondent chris Frates is in our washington bureau so chris what do you got
2: I'll tell you, that the fight between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton is getting increasingly personal with the billionaire attacking Bill Clinton for sexism. Now Trump said his tweet last night attacking Bill Clinton's, quote, penchant for sexism turned the tables on Hillary Clinton because she used the same phrase to criticize Trump earlier in the week after he used the sexist vulgarity to describe Clinton's loss to Barack Obama in 2008.
3: I think he is fair game because his presidency was really considered to be very troubled, to put it mildly, because of all of the things that she's talking to me about. I mean, she's mentioning sexism. I actually turned her exact words. I don't know if you saw the the following tweet, but I turned her exact words against her from that standpoint. And she's got to be careful. You know, it's got to be fair. And we all have to fight fairly, and we have to fight you know, for the good of the country, for the good of the people, for the good of everybody. But we have to fight fairly. And she's playing the woman's card, and it's like, give me a break.
2: So the chairwoman of the Democratic National Committee fired back, saying Trump is practicing gutter politics and that the whole GOP field is following him down the soar. It's really
1: outrageous, the, the depth and how low he has allowed the, the campaign to sink. And the rest of the Republican field, Andrea, is going along with
2: Now, Trump's slam on Bill Clinton's marital infidelity and alleged sexual misconduct comes a week after the Democratic frontrunner announced that her husband will hit the campaign trail for her next month. And the attack appears to be a kind of preemptive strike on the man regarded by many as one of the country's best campaigners. And it also suggests that Trump is feeling secure enough in his lead atop the GOP field to take on the leading Democrat. Now, Trump and Clinton are neck and neck in a number of hypothetical matchups. And of course, it doesn't hurt that criticizing Clinton is also very popular among a number of Republican primary voters, Deb.
1: Okay, there you have it. This is this is one of the areas we really uh got into last week. Uh my guest co host Christy King and also our caller Ron talking about whether or not that is fair game, Bill Clinton's past. And uh we're we're it's interesting that um we were, so, we were so passionate ourselves about this issue, and I even had someone who said, you know, I really wanted to call in. I wanted to weigh in on this, and uh, some people think this is fair game, even though Bill Clinton obviously is not running for office. And then we have others who feel like, you know what, that's personal. That's a thing of the past, and, and it's not going to work. Well, Bill Clinton did actually hit the campaign trail this week for his wife, and he did have to face that issue and we will we will table that for now because we do have our special guest with us and and maybe Mr. Bannon will weigh in on this before it's all over. I don't know, but we're going to table that and we'll come back to it. And right now, I want to invite into our conversation Executive Chairman of Breitbart News Network, um, whom I talked to you about just a little while ago, um, Stephen Bannon, and we really want to to uh, to pick his brain about Breitbart News, about uh Andrew Breitbart about that legacy that he has and also where Breitbart News is, is headed. Mr. Bannon, thank you so much for joining me on the Right Voice Radio.
3: Hey thanks for thanks for having me. Very excited to uh be here tonight.
1: Absolutely. And I was just telling our listeners that that many of them um like myself were first introduced to you when we heard about your doc documentary, which was of course the undefeated. And so I really wanted to give you an opportunity, to give us an opportunity to to get to know more about you and more about Breitbart Breitbart News, because it is, as they say, really blowing up and doing some incredible, incredible things. And you are so much more than I realized, and you're doing so much more than I realized at that time when I first heard of you. And I I believe that's probably the case for many others. So um, again, I introduced you as our Executive Chairman at Breitbart News. That um, which, of course, was started by by the late Andrew Breitbart. That you're you're radio hosting Breitbart News Daily. You're a writer. You're a producer. You're a director. You're, you're a filmmaker, and uh, and so I wanted to to just talk to you about the fact that Breitbart is continuing to add to and expand, and it's getting it's getting better and better what, and better.
3: What, what 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 you know as as part of the posse, you know, how proud we are of, of, of carrying on the legacy from Andrew. But, you know, my first love was mm-hmm. uh, after I moved to Investor Banking was filmmaking. And that's I was very fortunate to uh, make a film with Andrew early on, Good Generation Zero, about the financial mm-hmm. meltdown right after President Obama came to office and then uh, really had a chance to make this film with uh, Governor Palin. That yes. you know, you I met people like you and so many of what I call the Palinistas, which are really mm-hmm. the backbone of the Tea Party movement, and, and quite frankly, the backbone of this kind of populist nationalist grassroots conservative movement that has really come to fruition here with Ted Cruz and Donald Trump and Dr. Ben Carson and kind of outsiders race in 2016. Mm-hmm. That was really all uh, predicated, I think, on Sarah Palin's run for the vice presidency in, in 2008. So I was very fortunate to make that film, and, and I met so many people throughout the country like yourselves. And really the last film I, I made was um, was working with Andrew right after that. I made the, uh, the Occupy movie. Uh, I made mm-hmm. a film called The Hope and the Change about President Obama as seen through the eyes of Democrats uh, who voted for him, who were disappointed. But my last film was a film with Andrew we were making <clears throat> when he passed away. But I really haven't had a chance to um, to make a film in, what, the four years that, right. he's been, uh, that he passed away for the simple fact that I kind of stepped in. Uh, Larry Soloff, who was our president at the time, stepped up to CEO, and, and Larry runs the entire business side of the operation. And I moved back here to, to Washington, and New York, and really run the content side of the business. So it's um, it's been uh, you know we've had uh, we've been very blessed over the last four years to kind of you know put our heads down and as you know uh, hire kind of the right people and get the right mm-hmm. technology and build the right platform and you know, just because I think we present things in a in a certain way and we do, you know, we're kind of relentless in how we report. And, um, yes. you know, it's it's caught on. And, and we try to uh, every day uh, bring incredibly sophisticated, you know, I think we have, I said the other day, more Ivy League or Ivy League equivalent, you know, writers, whether it's Tony Lee from Stanford or Larry Solo from Stanford or Joel Pollack and Ben Shapiro from Harvard or, Peter Schweitzer mm-hmm. from Oxford. We try to every day deliver, you know, Ivy League or Ivy League quality analysis and writing coupled with the, the most advanced technology uh, and algorithms and Facebook and search engine optimization all that. So we've been right. very fortunate This this site has grown quite a bit and I think struck a chord. I think that, you know, in, in um, the month of November we did over, uh, I think, five and a half to six million comments. You know, we did a hundred and I think 35 million page views, 30 million uniques, uh, you know, 80 million visits to the site. But it was the comment section. I think we're the fourth largest on Facebook in the world as number of comments for a publisher. So we're we're you know, that's in back of the Times of India and I think the London Times. I think we're like yeah Post and I think we're fourth. So it's we've been very blessed and you know, but we're only at the top of the first inning. We assume that our current projections, we'll be twice the size we are today. We're about 100 people, and we'll be twice the size we are in manpower by election day 2016. And we'll be probably two or three times the size we are as far as traffic and, and growth and all that by by December, by mm-hmm. November 16. That's our plan. So it's we're just at the very beginning of this.
1: And that's and that's absolutely amazing. And none of it happens without without a vision. And obviously, Andrew had a vision. What was his? Inspiration. I mean, there certainly isn't a shortage of of outlets uh, uh, or or blogs or websites or whatever out there. What was Andrew's inspiration for Breitbart News Network, and and what was he hoping to accomplish through it?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. I think that one thing that Andrew saw is that he believed that there was a global, and we kind of saw this in in the Palin. You now, re- refer back to people like yourselves and in your audience and and people you know and kind of met in the the Palinista movement, Andrew, and the reason we kind of came together, I think we both saw something in that Palin, um vice presidential run of people coming to these rallies and looking, you know, left and right and saying, Hey, there's a lot more folks out mm-hmm. there than me. And it didn't matter what your uh, race was, what your religion was, what your economic status was, what your sexual preference was, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it really was kind of blue collar, working class, middle class, um, you know, patriots, just hardworking Americans. And I think Andrew and I, when, when we first started partnering up in the uh, in the spring of 2009, was that um, there was a global audience for that. You know, Andrew had come out of working, I think, about 14 years for Matt Drudge, right? So he had a very sophisticated, you know, people re- remember Andrew. A lot of them remember him at CPAC or these Tea Party rallies or on TV on red right. eye is this kind of very boisterous very man's man you know real leader dynamic magnetic personality but he was also one of the most sophisticated in fact i think outside of Matt Drudge he's the most sophisticated person in that generation of understanding how people come to the news and how they come to information the internet mm-hmm. and and new media is radically different than television and it's radically different than radio uh, or newspapers or magazines. And Andrew, having been an apprentice uh, and really Matt Drudge's right-hand man for so long, understood that. And so he had this vision of what a website, a news site, can be. If you think about the old blog roll we had versus this highly mm-hmm. sophisticated, graphically, you know, very appealing, uh, very dynamic, monster site that he built. And it took about a year to build it before it launched.
0: Unfortunately
3: mm-hmm. and tragically, Andrew died 72 hours before before the launch of the new site. He never saw the new site launch. Mm -hmm. He had worked almost a year of his life building it, right, and and probably a year in in that financing it. So two years of behind-the-scenes thing to launch this new site and then died 72 hours. But he saw the possibilities of not just a site that would have verticals of, you know, like big Hollywood and tech and sports, but also regional, whether it be California or Texas or Florida or Midwest, But as importantly, it would be global. He wanted the Breitbart brand to be ubiquitous throughout Mm -hmm. the world where people who were really – he thought there was a global Tea Party movement, that there were people in Hong Kong and people in India and people in sub-Saharan Africa and people in Rome and Israel and London and throughout Europe that would be attractive to hard-hitting journalism, citizen journalism uh, of the things that mattered for them. And and we know from our international expansion – that his vision was right. And we're kind of, we're just taking the playbook Andrew laid out and we're just aggressively uh, and quite frankly, obsessively marching down that path.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and interesting that you should say that because what's going through my mind is when you, when you know someone and you know their heart as you, as you knew Andrew, I imagine that you feel a certain responsibility for doing their vision justice and and we don't all get to see what goes on behind the scenes and how you how you all in leadership come to the decisions that you come to do you weigh everything through that through that um question of what would Andrew think about this how would Andrew approach
3: this yes you know you can't a, a legacy and an inspiration and in, in a in a um in a mentor right it is mm-hmm. is like uh you know Pulitzer or like Hearst or like Luce at times they clearly imbue the organization with certain core values and uh, and um, understandings and kind of objectives that want to be achieved. Um, you know, do we obsessively sit there on every article and say, "What would Andrew do?" Absolutely not. I mean, mm-hmm. one, he wouldn't want that and, and wouldn't expect it. Do every significant decision, every editorial call. We have two major editorial calls a day: one at nine o'clock and one at six o'clock. And, and Alex, myself, and and Larry Solov. Mm-hmm. I still chair those every day as we have since the day Andrew passed away and it, you know it's always through our minds is this the type of angle of attack that Andrew would uh, that Andrew would want us to take on whether narratives or new verticals or hiring people or the sensibilities of the site are really stuff we turn down we get approached by a lot of from people all the time to do things and we're very very conscious of this legacy that we've got and kind of you know the fighting spirit that that we want to um, that we want to put forward. So you know we we consider ourselves. We've always said Andrew was a fighter. You know his mm-hmm. number one thing was hashtag war. Uh, he really yes. wanted to um, to go up against the permanent political class. He wanted to make sure that uh, the little guy had a platform and had a voice. And I think mm-hmm. it's something that we we think about all the time in the regards to are we making sure that that kind of universal. Group of palomistas the, the the little guy who works, builds civic society, pays his taxes, coaches a little league, and takes care of his kids. Does he have a platform that gets him news and information at the same quality of BBC or NBC or CBS or the Times of London or the Economist or the New York Times? In addition, uh, is uh, there to take on causes and uh, opportunities that uh, that they would uh, they would back up? So I think we feel we have a you know, we have a very big uh, obligation to Andrew's legacy, mm-hmm. and it's something we think about, you know, constantly. Right,
1: and, and one of the things that that uh, Governor Palin often quotes, uh, one of the things that Andrew said that she quotes often is, "Politics is downstream from culture." So, what exactly? Lay that out. What exactly does that mean, and how does that? How is that seen in in at Breitbart News?
3: I think you see it perfectly in Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump's the personification of that. I think the culture is, particularly whether it's ESPN or whether it's Hollywood or whether it's television, the culture so shapes it, it, the, the reality of what elective politics is. You know, Andrew was not that much into really elective politics. I mean, clearly he got involved right. in engaging, went to rallies, and he talked and everything like that. He's the first to he didn't know the details of a lot of it. He certainly wasn't a policy guy. He was the first to admit all the time, even when he was on TV being interviewed. That's just not his thing. He didn't know the details. And Andrew was not a spin artist. He didn't want to memorize three talking points before he went on TV to talk about Mm -hmm. tax policy or Obamacare. You know, He would talk about something new, which is media and media bias or the way the media tries to craft things, and that's what he meant by culture. So Mm -hmm. I think you see in this 2016 race that someone like Donald Trump and even to a degree Ben Carson – People who speak in a nomenclature that's quite different than the political, you know, political speak can touch chords in the American people or can address issues that are much more powerful than the political class, even when that political class, the, some of the folks in it are, are conservatives, are small, limited government libertarians or conservatives. So Andrew was always very much um, focused on the culture. It's one of the reasons that at Big Hollywood, and we've launched Breitbart Sports, and we've launched uh, Breitbart Tech. And our aspects of our Jerusalem and Rome and London coverage all have major elements of it, of of really looking at the culture, right, and Mm -hmm. how the culture is helping to define politics. So it's something that's – and many of the initiatives we're going to launch in the future are going to address that even more. I think one of the best things we've done recently is this tech vertical run by Milo Yiannopoulos, which is very much into the culture, particularly the culture of gamers the culture of people under 30 years old. So it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, to me, it's very important, if not critical. And I think the Trump campaign at 16 and, and the power that Trump's had in defining the contours of this race show you that politics culture is definitely a river from politics. And is quite frankly, the, the, the more important current.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you know, as you've just, as you just stated, Breitbart has, expanded exponentially i mean and the thing that i i know over the years appreciated so much was that it wasn't one-dimensional as you mentioned whether sports or or hollywood or and now tech it's so wide-ranging and appealing to so many people but looking ahead what can you share with us about where breitbart news may be headed
3: yeah, the one thing we're not going to try. one thing is you've seen being on the inside is that what we try to do is not get ahead of ourselves. I think that it's, it's very important in this time to, to present super high quality. People's time is the most precious resource they have, and so when people come to our site, we want to make sure that we're. And you see that the complexity of actually putting up. You know, today I think we put up 350 pieces of content a day, whether it's on the Breitbart TV. Or uh, you know uh, one of the verticals like uh, tech or Jerusalem. If you aggregate it all up, I think it comes mm-hmm. over 300 pieces of things. Just the mechanics of doing that is mm-hmm. laborious. I mean, it takes people, it takes quality of of copy editing and people know grammar and typos and the tech people that know how to get it up and the, and the ability to get it to Facebook and to know algorithms to drive it on search engine optimization and you know to write it and edit it and assign the things and make sure. Legal signed off on it, right? And so all of these different elements, Mm -hmm. you have to have a central core apparatus. Our number one priority in thinking of Andrew and Andrew's legacy is to make sure that we are considered the number one site of this populist nationalist conservative movement. We are, you know, we started when we launched this site right after Andrew died, or, or, you know, the couple days after Andrew died. You know, we were basically the same size as many of our old competitors like the daily caller and the Washington times and the Washington examiner, you know, just Mm -hmm. because of our ability to focus and grow where you could probably add up all our competitors combined and they would probably not be the size of Breitbart today. Uh, Mm -hmm. it's been that type of growth. Now that is because we've had maniacal obsessive focus on this Mm -hmm. site and really turned down many opportunities in television and other things because we just don't want to spread ourselves too thin. The managerial, um, focus that it takes along with the content quality of the writers and the researchers mm-hmm. and the editors and the copy editors. We didn't want to get ahead of ourselves. So we d- didn't want to really get into cable or other things like that. We did start small uh, on radio and Sunday uh, I had a Sunday show and Andrew was a guest many times and on KBC mm-hmm. we then shifted that to SiriusXM. XM. That was quite successful. We then went to Saturday. We had the number one show on Saturday. We've launched this daily show. Uh, this, we're now seven days a week for three hours, so we're 21 hours of live uh, global news and information. No other conservative site has that. It's already been quite a big hit for us. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's adding tremendous to the site, and we'll probably expand that. We like radio. We're comfortable with radio. We see opportunities in radio. We think it. We think it dovetails very uh, strongly with the website and the flow of the news cycle, um, and we anticipate we're going to do more than that. We we have deals that we're looking at quite strongly in book publishing and podcasts and other things that we think are natural uh, brand extensions. We're going to get into, we're having a series of meetups. Uh, You know, we had a couple of tests, a couple of prototypes we tested in this this fall. We're probably Mm -hmm. going to get quite aggressive in rolling those out to have people throughout the country kind of come and meet and break our personalities. And so we're going to really, you know, try to build that. And maybe that even leads to a conference business or conventions or whatever, but we try to start small perfect what we're doing, and once we understand the business elements of it, once we understand how to really deliver quality product to people, then we Mm -hmm. expand out. And so I think we've probably got a half a dozen initiatives. Like I said, I think the company today is around 100 people. I I anticipate uh, by Election Day 2016 on our current plan, we anticipate we may be twice the size of that manpower. So in any type of expansion like that in a a small company – although we're relatively big in our industry or our space, we're still right. relatively small. You have to be so, so, so careful to take care of the internal culture. And as you know, I don't need to tell you, the culture right. is one of people who are 24-7, seven Absolutely. days a week, who have this obsessive, obsessive, um, it, it, you know, focus on the news. And like I tell people when they come, because I get people literally every day trying to get a job here at Breitbart, want to work at Breitbart, whether people from college or people who have been in this industry for 30 or 40 years. And I said, look, Breitbart's not for everybody. We have a very distinct house style. And the house style is that the one thing is that if this is not your passion, if this is not your life, if this is not something that, you know, being in this dialogue, helping them to, to really be at the forefront of these great battles that are being fought you know, for the for the direction of the greatest country in the world at a time of, of an incredible crisis and trouble, uh, then it's the wrong place. We're definitely not, not a nine. Right. I don't need to tell you we're not a nine to five shop, right? It's, it's, right. uh You know, I, I haven't missed. Uh, I don't think I've missed an editorial call in the four years since Andrew's been passed away, and and I'm not the only one. People, and it's not that it's considered a duty, which it is, but it's it's people just love what they're doing. So there's going to be a lot of growth in the future in different verticals, a lot of geographic growth, both regionally throughout the United States. We will eventually have all the U.S. covered in various verticals, whether, you know, a Chicago Breitbart or a Midwest or a South or a Florida. It <clears throat> will also be global. You know, we'll be in Asia before too long, in India, um, much deeper into Europe, much, much deeper into the Middle East, you know, mm-hmm. even more than our Jerusalem Bureau. So it's, it's the expansion over the next two or three years will be significant. And I think uh, we anticipate that the number one thing we're going to have is quality. So everything we're focused on is just delivering quality. And I think eventually – you know, a couple of years from now, but as we understand video better and have more video product, I eventually figure that we're going to be in television production. But that'll probably be, you know, a couple of years down the road when we we feel we can handle it.
1: Right, and we can certainly hear the the passion in your voice and uh, and obviously in the in the output of what you do. And uh, and so as you said, I, and I can attest. Yes, it. Breitbart is driven by people of of passion and and there is a, a spirit of excellence that is um obviously at the, the root of of the growth as well um i want to to just uh i know i want to be conscious of your time but i do have just a couple more things if you if you will sure. i want to just sh- just to shift back shift back again to to the filmmaking and to the undefeated that documentary about about sarah Palin this was that was in 2011. And by then, I mean, the media had tried to destroy her. I mean, even she still she still says, you know, that she asked him, where do I go to get my reputation back? But it was it was well past 2008 election. Obviously, Senator McCain lost. And yet you invested your resources, your time, your talent into this documentary, which really showcased her record, which had kind of gotten lost in all of the nonsense. So my question is, is why? What drove you to do that all those years later? I mean, I know 2012 was coming up and there was talk about her running for president, et cetera. I don't know if that figured it at all. What motivated you to invest the so much?
3: Was, the motivation was quite simple. is because of people like you. I knew that there was a huge audience and a huge base of folks just like you who are the incredibly talented, very hardworking Americans out there. That saw something in Sarah Palin that touched them, and they hadn't seen before, and it was quite powerful. And the, and the mainstream media, and the elites, and the and the in the centers of power and 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 prestige and money in this country mocked and ridiculed her. The more they did, and the more I, I just went around and looked, I just looked at the audience, I looked at the crowds, I looked at the passion, I looked at the love, and I looked at the patriotism, and I said, mm-hmm. because she got defeated, and I still believe she was defeated principally because of the financial meltdown of September 18th of 2008. You know, they were up mm-hmm. in the Gallup poll when, when that happened. Right. To horribly mishandled it. But I sat there and I said, you know, it's not over by a long shot. If this country's ever to get sorted out again, and I didn't really know much about President Obama at the time. I knew very little about President mm-hmm. Obama. But I knew that the country, even under President Bush, was, was, in a, in a very, was going in a very, I thought, bad direction. And it had mm-hmm. to be and that had to be sorted. And, and it had to be sorted by really going back to kind of first principles, principally tying to this working class, middle class, patriotic American that I saw, you know, that you kind of personify. And so, mm-hmm. fr- quite frankly, making the film was a yes, it was in 2011. And, and you know, I thought, hey, maybe she decides to run again for president, but it doesn't matter. It's this mm-hmm. this. She could be she is emblematic. Of what could be a much much bigger movement in this country, in a much much bigger um, and more important um, uh, you know event or process that eventually is going to be necessary for it to save this country. And quite frankly, I think you see that in the Ted Cruz, Ben Carson, Donald Trump. You know, two thirds of the GOP voters support you know one of those three guys, who are kind of right. the personification of the outsider. So that market was there. The growth of Breitbart. The people come today are exactly the type of people I wanted to make that film for. It was why that uh, Sarah Palin and Andrew Breitbart were so close. Remember, Andrew was a big part of that film and was mm-hmm. very helpful to me in thinking through uh, how to make the film. And, and um, you know, he got it. He got her audience. That was his, you know, those were his peeps. And so right. I think it was the inspiration for it and, and what was there. And it had, you know, it really was unconnected. The timing was that it could have been a perfect launching point. In fact, the success of it and the popularity going around, I still believe today, mm-hmm. and I've told her this many times, that if she ran in the Republican primary, I have no earthly idea if she would have beaten Barack Obama. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think she understands, and I don't think President Obama would know that. That's up the question. But I don't think, to me, there's any doubt that she would have been the Republican nominee, that she mm-hmm. would have won uh, a primary if she had gotten uh, focused and gone and done it. So it's... Yeah, yeah. Um, it's You know, she's an extraordinary woman. I, I'm so proud of the film. I had a great time making it. I met so many great people. But in the making of it, it was one thing to find her story and all the great people in Alaska. But I got to tell you, the experience of taking that film out and distributing it throughout the country and all the great people in oh, Alaska, yeah. what it's really meant to me personally in meeting and reinforcing that this country's got an incredibly deep well of mm-hmm. of just great working-class Middle that silent majority is out there and they're the best people in the world. And we've seen that on the site, we've seen that on the radio show, you know, it's just consistent. So it's uh it's uh, the film was a, uh, was a great, the uh, great moment in my life. And uh, it's one that I'm not just very proud of, but very fond of.
0: Yeah.
1: And I, I appreciate that, that you made that also. And it was, it was very exciting watching it unfold and people coming out in different places and just getting behind it and the truth getting out there um, so I, I thank you for that also. I have one more thing for you, sir, before before I let you go. And that is sure. this. Uh, twenty twenty sixteen. I mean, you've mentioned the various candidates, et cetera. This is such a unique unique cycle. I mean, I don't know if anyone thought we would be here. We've got Hillary Clinton on the left leading in the polls despite, obviously, a less than stellar record of Secretary of State. You've got Benghazi. You've got these email scandals. And then you have Bernie Sanders here, this, this socialist who's resonating with people, and and then of course on the on the right record number of candidates this non establishment wave what are your I don't know if you're a man of predictions or not but if you could just just leave us with a thought about 2016 what you're predicting what you what you're sensing lay it on us
3: well I think you know Samuel Golan once said this about the uh, you know one of the founders of MGM said this about the movie business nobody knows nothing right it, it, it's it's <laughs> this is enormously complicated I do think though that if you look at this movement that has really I think all the pundits have been wrong and they've been dead wrong, and the three people they've mocked consistently since the beginning are Dr. Ben Carson, Senator Ted Cruz, and mm-hmm. donald trump that that populist nationalist traditionalist conservative grassroots movement that is really on fire on on the on the conservative and Republican side, and even a little bit of what Bernie Sanders has tapped into on the, on the on the left. Is that people want their country back, right? People are think that this country's gone in a in a in a very uh, in, in a very, it's in a very precarious situation, and you see today, you know, with President Obama's gun grab, that the permanent political class, particularly Republicans, are enablers. They're everything Sarah Palin called them out as You know, they're really they're really the junior partner to President Obama, and that's why I kind of, in regard, admire President Obama because he's he's accomplished everything he set out to do. Mm. Right. You know, he, he, he You may not agree with his political philosophy, as I certainly right. don't. I certainly don't agree with his economics. I don't agree with the way he purports himself and the way he uh, goes about things and some of the ways he interprets the Constitution or just does what he wants to do. But he's a guy I think history shows that as a partisan, maybe not for the good of the country, but for the good of what he felt his politics were, went out and did, got done what he had to get done. And by the way, the opposition did not stand in his way. And I think that that Trump-Carson-Cruz populist match is the true opposition to the progressive left and the true opposition Mm. to this very corrupt permanent political class we have in Washington, D.C. that that, uh, Sarah Palin has been railing against for so many years. And so I think the number one Mm. prediction is that we're going to have one heck of a fight uh, Mm. going down. You already see it. And I think that uh, for the little guy out there and for the Palinista – it's a great time of victory. It's a great time where it couldn't be a better time to participate. You know, your voice is being heard. As much as you're mocked and ridiculed and mm-hmm. even by pundits on Fox, right, or conservative pundits in the New York Times that call you Vulgarians, or natives, Nativist, or racist, or homophobes mm-hmm. or know-nothings or xenophobes, you know, they get right. every name of the book, you know, from the R word to the N word <laughs> to the uh, mm-hmm. X word. Uh, it's a great time to be around because you're winning, your voice is not only being heard, it's having a massive impact. And if you look at what's happening in Europe with Front National, and, Front National in France, UKIP in Europe, the National Alliance in Italy, uh, you know, um, Pagita in Germany, AFD, Swedish Democrats, this populist center-right grassroots movement is catching fire throughout the world. And I think we're on the right side of history. And it's just going to be an incredibly fascinating ride for the next couple of years.
1: And I'm loving your optimism. I'm loving your voice and all that you're doing. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us on The Right Voice. Thank you for your your commitment to Andrew's legacy, also for your your commitment to your own vision, and and, and obviously for taking the time uh, with us here on The Right Voice. I appreciate you very, very much.
0: Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. so, And and thank you for the hard work. As you know, it takes a very special person to (laughs) to be able to (laughs) day in and day out, the 24 hours a day and the hours that... You know that everybody pitches in, but you've been a great, uh, great asset. So uh, I can't thank you enough, and thanks for having me on the show.
1: All right, thank you for the opportunity. God bless you. Goodbye. Well, we have been talking to to Stephen Bannon, from uh, Breitbart News, the the executive chairman of Breitbart News, and also a writer and a filmmaker and a director and, and all so many things that he has added to to the conservative movement and. I appreciate his time and of course the most important job of all is that uh he is he's my my boss and I'm um just grateful that he gave us the time. I know he's an extremely, extremely busy man. As he said, um he's driven by passion and there's there's no nine to five with with Breitbart, so he puts in an awful lot of hours and that he would take the time to, to talk to us about Andrew's vision, about about Governor Palin, about um, about where we're where we're headed is um, in this conservative movement, and, and just the the regular average everyday person like yourself and my, myself who care about this country that he would talk to us about that and encourage us is is uh, I'm humbled by that, and I thank him for that. I'm going to take a very very brief break, and then when I come back, I see that we do have our our next call, whom I've already talked to you about, Mr. A.W.R. Hawkins, our Second Amendment expert, and we certainly. Certainly need to hear from him today in light of the president's executive orders on gun control. Um sometimes here as you know we go into into overtime on the right voice and uh and so we that is a, a very distinct possibility today. But um hang with us and we'll be right back. I'm Adrian Ross and I'm your host. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were all meant to shine as children do. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. As I said last week, so say I again. I absolutely love that monologue from Coach Carter. It's so it's so powerful, and uh, so it, it, and it actually is a is a pretty good segue into into our next uh, session here because uh, fear, I suppose, some would say, has has been gripping a few people, or, or that perhaps some people are trying to play on on fear in terms of this whole gun control issue. I don't know. But that's why I have someone on with us today who will be able to break some things down for us in terms of what's going on. And that, of course, as I said, is uh, A.W.R. Our Hawkins, who is our, our gun rights Second Amendment columnist at Breitbart News. And again, he holds a master's degree in history, U.S. history, focusing on the Civil War. and has a PhD in military history from Texas Tech University. Mr. Hawkins is a very, very busy man, especially in the last couple of days, I know. But thank you so much for joining us on the Right Voice.
4: Oh, thank you, Adrian. Great to be with you.
1: Yes, I am glad that that you're here. As as we we know, um the president has decided to take matters into his own hands and to go around Congress and and enact some uh executive orders in terms of gun control. And I wanted to have you on. I appreciate you being on because I know that you would be the man that would be able to sort of give us a brief rundown on what exactly i mean I, I know you were glued today while the president was making his speech what exactly has he proposed what does he plan to do
4: well there are a lot of things i mean uh, a brief rundown is not going to it's not going to cover everything but uh, mm-hmm. the main points would be he's expanding background checks to cover private gun sellers and that means that someone who wants to sell a gun to their neighbor or or wants to sell a gun to a family member if, they, if they're if they doing it for profit, those are going to be the key words. He wants to force that person to get a federal firearms license to sell their gun so that they have to go through background checks to do it instead of doing it the way we've done it since 1791, which is just sell the gun. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I expect a pretty strong lawsuit against that to prevent it, but that's just what I expect. That doesn't mean that will happen. So that's one thing he did. Another thing he did, he put new rules and regulations on the backs of uh, federal firearm license holders, people who are already firearm dealers uh, with the federal government. He put new regulations on them. He also uh, uh, demanded that the DOD, the DOJ, and Homeland Security uh, fund research, sponsor research into smart gun technology and try to further the use of that. And he also co-opted something that was already underway, but he co-opted it with his executive action, which is a gun ban for Social Security beneficiaries. If those beneficiaries can't handle their own finances, he wants to treat the inability to handle finances as a, uh indicator of mental illness or a mental decline. And list them in the background check system so that they can't purchase a gun. So those are four things. There are many others, but those are four big ones. Mm-hmm. Here's
1: the here's my question. Okay, when I when I hear about the, the private sales, um, whether you sell online or, or uh, selling to a neighbor or a family member, or whatever, you will then be required to conduct the background check. Here's here's my very basic question. What's what's the problem with that? as
4: you see it? Well, I mean, I'll ask you this way. Should you be required to do a background check or get a license before you speak your mind? Should you be required Mm. to do a background check Mm -hmm. or get a license before you buy property or sell Mm -hmm. property? Should you be required to get a background check before you can be Considered secure in your houses papers and effects that's what the fourth amendment said should you Mm -hmm. have to I could keep going should you have to get a license Mm -hmm. before you deserve due process see the thing is the second amendment is not a privilege it's a right Right. it Mm hedges in a God-given right that is as certain as the God-given right to freedom of religion freedom of speech freedom to own property to be secure in my person, houses, papers, and effects, so on and so forth. When we can start licensing these rights, we're really saying these aren't rights. These are privileges. And and the further the government infringes on the Second Amendment, the more it ceases to be exercised as a right, and it's exercised more as a privilege. And once once we're foolish enough to believe that the government gives us that privilege, then we're one president away from From the right president, whoever that president is, when he's in the mood, he'll just he can just begin to limit access to guns. And and even confiscation is not out of the picture, but there will it would be a piecemeal confiscation. But the right president can do it once we're dumb enough to believe that it's a privilege, not a right. That's why we have to fight it tooth and nail.
1: Mm -hmm. And I have to ask, when we consider. The mass shootings, the terrorist attacks that have occurred, was there anything that you heard the president say today? Uh, any of those things? Would any Answer's of those no. things have been, stopped? Know what you, <laughs> you know, a, you know and would any of those, I don't even know what to call them, these the things that he's proposing, would any of them have stopped any one of those?
4: No. Well, let me ask you, and this would be good, and and, your, and for your listeners and for my readers, think about this. Let me ask, Adrian, let me ask the question back to you this way. Were any of those mass shootings carried out by a Social Security beneficiary who can't handle his or her own affairs? No. Were any of those mass shootings carried out by uh, FFLs who – I mean, see, I, I can just take his rules and flip them back and frame them as questions, and none of them apply to any of the mass shootings. Nothing he's talking about would have stopped anything. And the key reason is this Every mass shooter In recent memory I was on a show earlier And I really jogged my memory I can think of three mass shooters In 15 years Out of all the mass shooters You might think of Out of the last decade and a half I can only think of three Who didn't go through a background check To get their guns Of those three Two of them stole their guns So no amount of gun control would work The third one Knew he couldn't pass a background check, so he had someone pass one for him. But my point is this. They all, except for those three, we're talking 20 or 30 people, maybe 40. They all went through background checks to get their guns. So basically, all Obama's doing is expanding the avenue that they're already using to acquire their guns. There's no way it will stop them. They're already Mm -hmm. passing them. So it's, it's foolish on all fronts. Mm-hmm.
1: And what about the mental the mental health issue? Because now, of course, I think that people are concerned that that violates or will violate the uh, the doctor patient confidentiality. HIPAA. And right, and Yuck. so now doctors are going to have to sort of snitch on their patients.
4: Right, and you know there's going to be some problems here if if the conservatives will show some back backbone because they passed a law in his first term to keep doctors from snitching. And uh and the whole the reason was there was a fear that Obamacare would be used to form a da- to form a database for a gun registry. And so there was a law passed that prevented doctors from doing that. And so now you'll have to ask whether what he is saying they can do if that violates what Congress said they can't do. So this could end up being a drawn-out situation. But it all boils down into whether Speaker Paul Ryan and Majority Leader Mitch McConnell will man up and do something, or if they're too busy, going to the cocktail party tonight. We'll have to see.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Well,
1: this will be very, very interesting um, because, obviously, the whole issue of constitutionality uh, is is uh, is on the table. And there's some things that he mentioned. I was listening to Judge uh, Napolitano on Fox today, and there were some things, obviously, that the president – is within his rights to do. Um and then there are some, you know, one thing he cannot do of course is, is is write the law. And so that's that's an issue. And so we'll have to see if this if this whole thing stands up. And uh and I guess that remains to be seen how this will all unfold. But I just want I want to thank you for, for coming on and kind of breaking that uh breaking that down for us. And uh, we obviously know where you stand, and you continue to do that to do the work and inform us on the on the Second Amendment. And I know that you've been very very busy because everybody's been pulling on you to get your to you know get your expertise. So thank you for giving us some time here on the Right Voice and breaking that down for us today.
4: Well, oh, thank you. It's always great to be with you. Thanks for asking me to come on.
1: Absolutely appreciate it. Have a good one. God bless you. You too. Okay, well, there you have it. Um, A.W.R. Hawkins. There aren't too many people who are as immersed in in what's going on in terms of of guns, in terms of the Second Amendment, as he is, and he keeps us informed at Breitbart. If you are are not uh, following what he's what he's writing, you need to do that at Breitbart Breitbart dot com. As as uh, Stephen Bannon mentioned earlier, there's there's so much going on. Um, over at uh, at Breitbart and the whole issue of our second amendment is one of those, one of those things. So there are lots of people who have lots of concerns about the president's actions today. Um, The whole background check issue, uh, you know, the, 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 the health issue is, and you know what, I I do, I want to say a little bit more about that, that mental health issue. We talked about the whole snitching aspect where doctors, I mean, there's, where's the confidentiality? Now doctors have to report um, if they feel that that someone has mental health issues, and also, you know, it gets a bit tricky there. We do we we do not obviously want people who are mentally ill with access to 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 firearms. But how subjective is that? I mean, if you go into your if you go to your doctor today and you're you know perhaps uh, a little depressed or something, I don't know. I mean, will will that particular doctor say? This person is mentally unstable, and now you don't have you don't have access to to your right. and And I think that's something that, that that AWR is trying to point out that it's it's not just about the gun issue, although that you know we do have the right to 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 keep and bear arms, but it's about an infringement on our rights. And the reason why he asked me, do I have to do I have to have a background check before I can speak my mind, is because we have a First Amendment, which gives me the right to speak my mind. We have a Second Amendment, which gives us the right to to bear arms, and so we we start getting into an infringement on our rights overall. I think every one of us obviously wants uh, to be safe, but here's my thinking too. I want we have laws on the books, and I was just kind of blown away by the fact that the president. One of the things that he mentioned today was that they were going to hire 200 ATF uh, workers for the enforcement of laws. Well. You know, you should have been enforcing laws all along. I mean, we don't need a we don't need a big press conference and we don't need an executive order for you to tell us that you're going to enforce the laws. We have laws and you should have been enforcing them all the years that you that you've been in office. And number 2 is it's the fact that I want to see us do things that that work. I'm not for just making a change to make a change. And no one can say as AWR pointed out No one can say that any of these measures would have stopped any of the mass shootings at all. And so, are we doing something just for the sake of saying that we did something? Is this political posturing? Is this, you know, is this, and I don't want to say that it's just political posturing because, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk out there about the president. He was crying today when he mentioned those first graders who were shot. And it is, it tears your heart apart. I'm not going to be one of those that says that the president wasn't sincere. I believe that anybody who can, you know, can consider a child, look at a child, think about a child, look at the, look in the face of a parent who's lost a child, that's going to pull on your heart. So I don't doubt that he was sincere in that. But I'm, what I'm saying is that we have to act on, we have to act responsibly and with wisdom and not just, not just emotion. And so, um, if there are laws in the books that we're not enforcing, then we then we need to enforce them. You know, and, and that goes that goes to whether we're talking about these whole sanctuary cities with, with we got we have immigration and we have people being being um killed and all that and the president doesn't want to do anything about that. And that's another issue that's really getting to people. They're seeing a situation where the president is showing this passion today and seems to be intent on on taking uh, or infringing on people's Second Amendment rights. And yet he he doesn't seem to show any passion when it comes to the things that people are concerned about. For example, terrorism. When people talk about their fears about ISIS, for example, the president kind of pooh poos it and kind of taunts and kind of makes them feel um, childish for having those concerns. And yet he always seems to get so passionate about the issue of guns and then proposes things that won't Stop gun violence and only infringes on the rights of the law-abiding citizen. So I understand why people are, to you know, excuse the pun, up in arms about the whole the whole situation. So anyway, um, I just appreciate uh, AWR coming on. I don't know if, if, if what you think on that. I know we have uh, people various opinions about that issue, and uh, and you can we're we're into overtime here for for a little bit. So feel free to call in if you want to make your voice heard on this issue. Um, you don't have to agree with AWR at all. I mean, you you may have a whole different perspective, something we haven't considered. 646-200-3715. Again, that's 646-200-3715. If you want to jot a note on Facebook, that's The Right Voice Radio on Twitter, at The Right Voice 1. But again, you can you can call in if you'd like to, to weigh in on this whole issue. Well, time has blown by. It really has. And um I'm so appreciative of our guest today. This was a day where we had um there there were lots of things on, on the table here to talk about. And I started off by by talking about uh talking about Donald Trump and <clears throat> Donald Trump and what uh, we discussed last week on Table Talk about um the Clinton sexism, uh the the charge of sexism that, that Hillary's leveled against Donald Trump. Um, and he responded, of course, by saying that he would pull out uh Bill clinton's past, and some say that's fair game, and some say that it's not, but obviously, there was a reporter uh when Mr. Clinton stumped for his wife, and uh she asked the question of him, and I'm going to play this for you it's very it's a short clip, and the the room where he where he was was packed. With people, and so the audio isn't perfect, but you know, lean in a little bit and let's take a listen to this ABC reporter asking Bill Clinton about his past. And somebody, someone joked and said that that might be his strategy. Just make sure that you answer questions in a in a packed, crowded room with music playing in the background. But basically, the reporter said, "I I hate to ask you this, but is it fair game to talk about your past?" And he really, Mr. Smooth, Mr. Slick, as they like to call. Bill Clinton, he wasn't so slick in his response. There was there was some hemming and hawing, and and basically he said that I will let the Republicans deal with that. He, had, you know, he was criticized for his handling of that question, but I'll let the Republicans deal with that. You know, there will always be people who want to take it away from from the people, take the issues away from the people, or whatever. But um, the interesting thing to note is that after Donald Trump's uh, threat. I guess he might call it a promise. You, Hillary Clinton seemed to, to not want to go there in terms of sexism. We haven't heard, we haven't heard that. So even when she was asked a question about him, something about him, she said that she made a new year's resolution and that was basically that, you know, she didn't find him worthy of uh, responding to. So she wasn't going to respond to that. I don't know how long that's going to work for her, but that seems to be the direction Uh, She's going in. So in any case, um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for joining us. I had um, tons of things to talk about today, but you know what? I am so glad that I didn't get to them because that that speaks to the quality of the guests that we had here on The Right Voice with Stephen K. Bannon and also with A.W.R. Hawkins talking about two very, very important things. Well, actually, Mr. Bannon talked about so many things, talked about um, Andrew Breitbart talked about Breitbart News. I'm assuming that you are familiar with Breitbart News Network. If you are not, then then you need to get up to speed on this thing here. And that's um that's Breitbart.com. And as he mentioned, there are so many verticals. It is not one-dimensional. It is it covers everything from Hollywood to sports. We're into you know, we've launched Jerusalem and London, even tech for you gamers out there, as well as national security, which is global. We have so much going on at Breitbart, um, big government. And that was how it started, you know, with the bigs, you know, um, big government, big journalism, all that. But um, it has expanded so much. And he's got the radio program, which started out one day and then it's two days. And now it's seven days a week on Sirius XM radio. And so um, there's a lot going on. And Andrew would be very, very proud. And I'm, I can say because I am with Breitbart News, I know that these people are driven by, uh, as, as uh, Mr. Bannon said, almost obsessive uh, passion to be the best and to do justice to Andrew Breitbart's vision. People work very, very hard to bring you the best quality, and uh, and so that's there's a reason why even Governor Sarah Palin um, often often quotes Andrew Breitbart, often links to Breitbart work. Because there's something going on there to to give you quality, so I thank him for that, and also a w r who works so hard to to keep us abreast of what's going on in terms of our second amendment rights and I know he's been busy, and I pulled on him and 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 asked him to come on for a little while, and he even stayed longer than I had requested, so I'm grateful for that. Uh, we will catch you next week. Thank you for hanging with us for another uh, extra 10 minutes or so here on The Right Voice and Overtime. I appreciate that very, very much. Um, I'm asking you to please go to Twitter, like us on Twitter if you have not done so. What in the world are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Please like us on uh, on on Twitter and Facebook. Twitter is at The Right Voice One. And on Facebook, it is The Right Voice Radio, every Tuesday, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern here on The Right Voice. I am your host, Adrian Ross. I appreciate your time, and uh, I will catch you next week once again. If you weren't here in the beginning, let me wish you a happy, happy new year. I'm believing for great things for this new year. I believe there will be some serious challenges, without a doubt but I also believe there'll be some great things. So, hang with us for it. All right? God bless you and we'll we'll catch you next time. See ya.
0: we